0: Hello, and welcome to Fort Wayne Ballet's Kinetic Conversations. I'm John Dawkins, the show's co-producer, and today we're bringing you the first in a short series of podcasts leading up to our annual Nutcracker performance, and we're calling this episode Beyond the Nutcracker. We'll explore what that means and find out a little bit more about what it means to run a ballet company. And on that note, for those of you who tune into this podcast to hear the dulcet tones of Jim Sparrow, good news, he's right here, (laughs) but the tables have turned on him. For five years now, he's been asking the questions, but he's in the interview chair at the moment. So welcome to the show, Fort Wayne Ballet Executive Director, Jim Sparrow. Thanks for having me. It's kind of interesting to be on this side of the mic. So just to start real quick, could you uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became the head of this
1: company? Sure. So I've been involved uh, in the arts for about 35 years. My first, uh, right out of college, uh, I was a professional musician for 10 years, played with the Fort Wayne Philharmonic, and then Michigan Opera Theater, did some recording sessions, work and various other things, did that for about 10 years. Then started working for Arts United as a director of development, became their executive director, which I did for about seven, eight years, then became a, uh, the present CEO of the Arts Council in Winston-Salem to do the same thing I did at Arts United for five years. After doing that for a period of time, the board of directors for the Fort Wayne Ballet were looking to advance the company by splitting the role which had been held by one person in the past. Karen Gibbons-Brown, who's artistic director, had had a dual role, executive and artistic director. As the company was growing, they're like, it's too much work for one person. And so they contacted me, I was ready to come back to Indiana, and that's what happened five years ago. I came back with a a mission, basically, from the board of directors to continue to grow the company, specifically the professional company, but also the stature and the visibility of the company. So that's, in a nutshell, that's how I got here, and that's a little bit about uh, my administrative and artistic life.
0: Let's talk about the organization of Fort Wayne Ballet. What sort of organization is it?
1: So Fort Wayne Ballet... Uh, is there's a couple ways to answer that question. So first and foremost, it's a, it's a dance organization. It's not just an academy. It's not just a company. It's an organization that does multiple things. So we do have a professional company of 24 to 30 dancers, professional dancers who are on a 30-week contract. They come from all over the United States and the world. About 25 to 30% of our dancers come from outside the United States. They are here to dance professionally. That's what they do. We also have a professional academy. That's for anybody who's interested in dance from age three all the way through 73. And we have a variety of classes in between for those who just want to dance and those who want to dance with the purpose of potentially becoming a dancer. That track is twofold and it's a big part of who we are. But those two pieces really comprise both sides of the sandwich or the bread between you know, putting uh, the organization together. We are a 501c3. What that means is it's a nonprofit organization that is structured basically as a charitable organization that gives a percentage of what it does, not financially, but the reason it exists, is to serve the community in ways that are not about making profit, but about providing for the community. We uh, also have the benefit as a 501c3 to have charitable status in terms of tax deduction status for those who donate to us, or non-tax. In other words, we're an exempt organization. We don't pay tax on those things. And that's why we're a 501c3. The other pieces that go into that is we have a public board, a board that is not directly related to us, but is a board made up of individuals outside in the community who oversee this in terms of the mission and making sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And then also as a 501c3, we're open to the public. Anyone who wants to look at our financials or know what's going on has the right to look at that as part of that arrangement. So that's a little bit about sort of our structure and some of the nuances in terms of how we're actually structured as a business.
0: Now, is that typical for a, a professional ballet company to be a nonprofit?
1: The vast majority of them are. There are some companies, uh, depending on the size and the way they're structured, where they may have both an academy and a professional company, but both may not be nonprofit. There's nothing that says, for example, your academy can't be a for profit situation, then your company is the nonprofit portion of this. It's a variety of things that are structured under that same kind of mindset of umbrella, but There are a lot of uh, organizations now who have branched into a situation where a portion of their business is for-profit. And as long as you stay in a a situation where a percentage of your business operations, the largest percentage is non-for-profit in terms of what its mission and how it operates, that's perfectly fine. You would end up paying taxes on your taxable portion so that you're running it just like any other small business. So there are different ways of doing this. But the vast majority of companies that we look to as our peer group, or bigger than we are uh, run the way we do.
0: So what's the difference between running a ballet as opposed to a typical business? What sets it apart?
1: Well, like any other business, specific businesses have certain things that are specific to what it is they provide, either a service, I'm a restaurant. So there are certain things about running a restaurant, you know, food, preparation, the service side of it, or I'm making... Ball bearings for a car, there are certain things I need to do to make sure I can deliver those things. So there are, there's that side, which we can talk about in a minute. But I think one of the biggest misnomers about a nonprofit is that it is charity and the mindset of everybody and that everything runs off of donations. That's really how the organization exists. Our business, if you think about it, if people who are familiar with a small family business, we run more, more similarly to that. Small staff, it would be great to say that everybody in the staff has just one duty, but just like any small business, that's not how it works. As a
0: member of the staff, I know that that's it, not how that works.
1: It's not how it works, and that is very much part of your title may be this, but sometimes you have to do this, and as I've said you know, jokingly to board members, Sometimes you're the president, CEO. Sometimes you're the development director. Sometimes you scrub the toilets. It's part of running a family business. And you do what you need to do because that's the size organization we are. We just don't have the depth or the size of budget to be that diversified. That being said, I think, like I said, the greatest misnomer is that it's all contributed income for operating this. We have both earned and contributed that make up how we deal with our day-to-day cash flow and operations. So, yes... We solicit for supporters, we'll get sponsorships from corporations and individuals for underwriting portions of our production. We have an annual fund where people can invest in the organization. We have foundations and trusts in the community who support everything from us to the zoo to Aaron's house to a variety of other very worthwhile things that go on in the community or entities. We're part of that too. But then we also have an earned revenue portion. So we sell tickets to our performances. We charge tuition for our operation of the academy. Those things may be offset with some scholarships and other things. As I mentioned, since we're a nonprofit, there's a mission element here. So not everything we do is designed to make a profit, and not everything we do is always going to be the most profitable way of doing it, because part of this is providing access to everyone in the community at some level and also providing access for everyone to participate at some level. So there are things that are a little bit different on that. But yes, we make money just like everybody else does to offset a portion of that. And our operations now are about 65% earned revenue, 35% contributed.
0: Going into that earned revenue a little bit, talking about the dancers and what it means to put on a production, can we talk about what goes into a production and what we have to bring forward to put one of these great shows on?
1: Sure. So there are a couple of different types of performances that we provide as part of our season. Mm-hmm. There are basically three sort of buckets, if you want to call them that. And I was talking recently to the board about these performances have both a return on investment and a return on opportunity. The return on opportunity portion really goes back to the mission element I talked about. There are mm-hmm. things that we do and provide that if we were looking at this just like I was running Cirque du Soleil. I probably wouldn't do because they don't have a great return related to uh, revenue. They may be for a niche audience, not a larger audience, more diverse audience, but they're valuable because they do reach different parts of the community in different ways. Those three buckets or three performance areas is the masterworks or the things that most people are familiar with. The Nutcracker is one of those. Our spring performance that we do with the Philharmonic, which is like a Swan Lake or a Coppelia or you know Sleeping Beauty. But then we also have a studio series which are made up of what we in the field would call repertory. Those are smaller ballets that are not going to have the same name recognition. Uh, We did some of that in the fall when we did Fancy Free, and we did Italian Suite, and we did Three Virgins and the Devil. They're great pieces, they don't have name recognition at the same level, but they need to be seen. And they need to be produced in a way that not only is something the audience has an opportunity to learn about and to see, but also. The dancers, it's part of building their career and their opportunities to dance these roles. And then the third area is our family series or the family plus community. And that is the family series we do in our Studio A, which is really designed as an entry level for um, young families or, or people who are not familiar with the ballet and young kids. But also that's an extension as well with our community series like our Firefly, which we go out to the community, we provide those performances to the community for free throughout Northeast Indiana again as a service and as part of that nonprofit mission element that makes up Fort Wayne Valley those three productions are different in terms of how we have to produce them and the elements that we we have to manage masterworks we are lucky enough to do our masterworks with our Philharmonic. Not every ballet company in the world or the country has the opportunity to work with a live orchestra. We do. It's great. But that isn't a structured arrangement, a contracted arrangement with the Fort Wayne Philharmonic. We have to manage through the elements that go into their contract, their collective bargaining agreement, and their musician's agreement. But we also deal with the theater. It's not our theater. So there's a rental of the theater and working with the production staff at that theater. We have our own operations staff that's headed by Christina Brinker, who will manage that ahead of time, get the logistics, but we have to lay that out. Uh, Sets, we have for most of these large productions, if we have not already built the set, Nutcracker, for example, we invested about $25,000. Most recently, about five years ago, it's about time to rebuild it for that production. And it's set, so we put it up and take it down. But for many of the productions, like Romeo and Juliet will do this spring, we have to build the set. We don't have it on site. It's not something that's part of a repertoire. So we have to have a set designer and production of that. And then costumes. So we have a costumer, Nam who is our head costumer. All of our costumes are made here. So we put all that together. In the case of Nutcracker, they're built and kept in costume bins through the year. But for other productions, we have to create the costume or manage the costume. That's our masterworks. For most of that, we don't have to deal with the same level of rights for choreography or music because it's public domain. What that means is the composer or the choreographer is long since gone. There's no tie in terms of intellectual property anymore within the family or in an entity that's being managed. So we don't have contracts and stipulations that we have to manage. When we get to the studio series it's a different ball game. So those pieces, those trust pieces we talked about, or those repertory pieces Mm -hmm. usually are managed by a trust or a family trust or an institutional trust. They take care of that intellectual property or that choreography and the way it looks. You have to both get permission from them, they don't just give it to you because you want to go buy it. They come and they take a look at the company. Is the company good enough to do the pieces they want to do? Are we willing to allow them to do that because their reputation is on the line as well? So once you've been signed off on that, then you get to pay and manage the contracts and all the pieces that go into that. So you're paying for the choreography. You're also paying for the repetitor or the person or persons who will come in and set the piece that is selected by the trust. You are paying for the music rights. Uh, You are paying for the lighting package. You are paying for the costume and the set separately. It's put together in a way that controls the entire product very differently than the Masterworks.
0: And some of the trusts will actually send the sets that they want. I believe we did that with Fancy Free. We did. We did. That was an amazing set, by the way.
1: It was fantastic. That was a situation where we paid for the set rental. We paid for the delivery, but that set is their set we had to package it up and send it off to New Jersey Ballet right after we were done because they were doing it three weeks later. Right. So yes, there's both an advantage in the fact that the package is set up in a way that this is what it looks like and the challenge of the cost and logistics. The trust also insists that you do it exactly the way they want it done. Everything down mm-hmm. to you taking pictures and having them approved by the trust for marketing and other things, as well as the choreography. And if you do not adhere to that, you're in breach of contract. So when we get to Nutcracker... Very different story. Karen can go in and modify any of the choreography she wants. She can go in and change the costumes. Many companies have gotten to a place where they have their nutcracker focus around elements that are unique to the city. So for example, Louisville did a bourbon-based nutcracker situation because of the mm-hmm. uh, you know, bourbon and Kentucky Derby. Very focused in terms of land of sweets. You go to things that are reminiscent and unique to Louisville. You can't do that with the trust pieces. Trust pieces are what they are.
0: Fort Wayne Ballet has typically had really good relationships with these trusts, correct?
1: We have, and some of it's new relationships that have been built in the last few years that are blossoming. So the organization has started with the professional company really being established in earnest about 10 years ago. The professional company being young, as it's continued to strengthen and get stronger in terms of the quality of the dancers and, and various other things, we had entered into a relationship with the Arpino Trust, which Gerald Arpino was one of the co-founders of the Joffrey. They were great to work with, and the pieces looked great on our emerging company, and there were a lot of things that were really, I think, epiphanies for the community who hadn't seen pieces like this before, and were used to just the Nutcracker. The one that comes to mind is Light Rain. So when we did Light Rain— I was just about to say that. It was one of those that people hadn't seen it before. It's a very fun, sexy, energetic kind of piece that's not what they typically believe they're going to see when they come to a ballet performance. And it was the kind of place that was the only place that I had seen recently where at the end of the piece that people are up on their feet just like you were at a concert. It was unique, but that was a trust piece and that was a relationship that we had started and, and that was the return.
0: And if I might just inject something personally here, when we first started doing the podcast five years ago, that was the first show we talked about was, we were doing Light Rain and a couple of other pieces. I believe our own Tracy Tritz yeah. Bolero was in that. And I personally, I started doing this podcast but I did not have a lot of experience with ballet at all, and that was the first show I went to see for Fort Wayne Ballet that completely changed my perception of ballet and what it was and what it could be. I had no idea.
1: Well, and I think that's, when I talk about return on investment and return on opportunity, one of the things I've talked to the board about, that's a return on opportunity. The investment, even a piece like that, is not going to have the same return on investment for marketing, advertising, and, and the cost of that. It doesn't have the same impact as a nutcracker, which we have thousands of people come to see and the return on investment's high. That's our big draw to our earned revenue and that return on investment. But it's a huge return on opportunity because of the experience you had. is the same for anybody else we can get in there. It changes their perspective. It potentially engages them at a different level. And it makes those sort of niche or passion-based sort of connections that you can grow. And that's the balance. It is one of the things that's unique about running a ballet company, for that matter, any arts organization, if we are running an orchestra or a theater company or anything else, there are the things that people recognize and will come and buy a ticket, and you don't have to market very hard. And there are other things that you know that if they see them, number one, hopefully they'll fall in love and, and have an epiphany, but at the very least they'll be enriched in a way that they won't be able to do if you're just doing marketable things that are return on investment. It is a balance. It's a struggle, but it's, it's part of what makes it unique to run an arts organization.
0: Right, but having a ballet company... In general, you you have to do Nutcracker, correct? Well, we,
1: we do. It's a blessing and a curse. It is, we are blessed that we have a Nutcracker, which brings in a huge amount of revenue and visibility. I think every company in the United States that does it feels that way. It is a lovely piece. I actually love the Nutcracker, the music, everything about it. But it is an advantage that many arts organizations that are not ballet companies don't necessarily have. They don't have a Nutcracker. That's a big advantage for ballet. The curse is that's usually all anybody's ever seen or what they think the ballet is exclusively.
0: It's a Christmas tradition. Some people have to see the Nutcracker every year the same way people have to see the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year.
1: Right, right.
0: And that's great for us, but we do want to move, as we titled this particular episode, beyond the Nutcracker. We want to show you what else is available in dance and what incredible things our dancers are doing. I'm floored every day when I come in here of the level of artistry that is in this building.
1: Well, and I think that if, if you were sitting across from any other executive director or artistic director for a ballet company the same size as us or larger, they would have the same experience that we're talking about today in terms of we're more than just the Nutcracker. Because even the largest companies who do wonderful things are largely known because people have come to see their Nutcracker. It is one of those, like I said, one of those blessings and curses that I'd rather have the blessing and curse of Nutcracker than not. But it is one of the challenges in that that's almost 90% of the time that's the first thing someone will pop out. Oh, I've seen the ballet. I went to the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. And that is something that when I talk about that return on opportunity, getting people in to see and have an experience like you suggested with Light Rain or anything else that they might have a unique experience with that is not what they expect changes the opportunity for the ballet, but also the perspective about what having a ballet company in your community really is.
0: Well, all right. Thank you, Jim, for uh, switching roles and sitting in the interview chair today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Kinetic Conversations.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure and it's been interesting to be on this side of the mic and I'll look forward to being on the other side at some point in the future. Thanks, John.
0: Fort Wayne Ballet performances of The Nutcracker open December 1st through the 10th at the Arts United Center. You can purchase tickets by visiting the Fort Wayne Ballet website or calling the box office at 422-4226. Connectic Conversations is brought to you by Fort Wayne Ballet and Wayne Shout Productions. Our guest was Fort Wayne Ballet Executive Director Jim Sparrow. If you'd like to receive notifications on future podcasts, please like the podcast and go to fortwayneballet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news you will also find a library of past episodes on our website in the menu of options. Until next time, I'm John Dawkins, and thank you for listening to Kinetic Conversations with the Fort Wayne Ballet. Has been a Wing Shout production.